Hi, uh, my name is Brad Klein for a TurfNet Renovation Report. Our guest today is golf course architect and renovation fellow Dan Hickson out of the Pacific Northwest. I want to thank our sponsors from the Andersons, uh, Golf Preservations, and Capillary Bunkers. Uh, Dan, welcome to a TurfNet Renovation Report. How you doing out there? I'm doing good. Thanks, Bradley. So I was looking you up. And, you know, this is like social media age, promotion, billboard world. You don't even have a website. What is going on? Are you trying to keep uh, your work a secret? <laughs> well, I did have Instagram for a couple of years. I still have it. I, I But I sort of did that just for a project um, for the my golf course down in Roseburg called Bar Run. And so I promoted that. And then uh, I just kind of quit doing that. <laughs> So but, I, yeah, no I, website. I met you with uh, Bandon Crossing in Bandon, Oregon, and Sylvie's Valley Ranch in the middle of the uh, the high desert plain. Tell us about how you got to the point where you're designing golf courses and renovating them. How did you get started in the business, and how did you become whatever you are now? <laughs> well, I was a golf pro my last career, and I'd wanted to be a golf course architect like many guys for many years, and. Uh, in the late 90s, I resigned from my position as a head professional in town and um, started a business a few years later, or just one year later. And I started out just doing the very smallest little projects, um, mostly through golf professionals, because I, I was in that circuit and my older brother and dad are golf pros. And so uh, a lot of golf pro pros knew who I was and that I was getting in the business. And so I just did a few greens and tees and bunkers early and Pretty soon started doing some short game areas and uh, just one thing led to another. My big break was, well, there's several, but Bannon Crossings was probably the biggest to get a full golf course in, you know, fairly early in my career. I'd only been in about five years. And uh, soon after that is I went ban uh, from Bannon Crossings, went to Wine Valley and then Crestview, a nine hole course I did on the Oregon coast and uh, which led to Sylvie's. And that got me through many years of, uh, um, you know, the downturn in the economy, but Sylvie's took us like seven years to build. So um, my my business kept growing during that while I was building Sylvie's. And uh, yeah, so it's been quite a run. So you're kind of a throwback, aren't you? You don't have big AutoCAD, a whole big staff. Uh, you're sort of a one, am I right? You're a one-man band, basically? Yeah, just one man. And uh, um the iPad has sure helped. I do tons of work on an iPad now just with Google Earth and do plan drawings from that. And uh, I do a lot of perspective drawings. But uh, yeah, I've, I'm have i kind of to the point where I'm, I may have to go one way or the other, get a little smaller or, uh, or hire somebody because I do have a lot of, lot of work coming in all the time. But, you know, I enjoy all aspects of it. And the parts I don't join only last for a little while. So I know they're going to, uh, I'll finish that and get it out of the way. So, um, it, it, do you think some of your success is because precisely you're not one of these big budget, big name guys. And so there's, I mean, there's a lot of golf courses out there that are modest, you know, you just finished, maybe you could talk a little bit about the one you did at Ben golf club in um, in the West central part of the state. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, Oregon's, had all the great architects, the the current guys, and uh, you know from Doak and 
and Corn Crenshaw and Kid. David Kid lives in in Oregon as well, and uh, and so you know most of the clubs just kind of don't go that path. Gil Hans did Waverly and not far from where I live, even here in Portland area. And uh, so I, I think you're right a little bit. I, I, uh, yeah, I definitely haven't done the high profile projects like a lot of those guys have, but um, you know, I work at eight of the 11 clubs in Portland and we just finished a bunker renovation at Bend just a few months ago. And uh, it was a, Chandler Egan golf course. And, uh, I'd been working there for six or seven years with a long range plan that we'd been kind of clicking a few things off. And, um, and that was great. Scott Moffin buyers, a superintendent there. So, um, actually his brother is on the greens committee for, uh, Oswego Lake. My next project starting just next week, big project. And, uh, so Scott's a great superintendent and he was really good to work with at Bend. And, and we really improved that place on a, fairly modest project by kind of national standards. Yeah. You, uh, I think the number was uh, 37 bunkers you built for um, and average was about 860 square feet. So, um, and you did that for the total cost. As I understand the whole project, including your massive fee was about $550,000, including everything, right? That's it. Yeah. That's including sand into the bunkers and sod and contractor and everything. So how do you keep costs down and still make sure you get quality? Well, I think it's uh, <clears throat> a lot, mostly the contractors, but, you know, we really think it through and uh, not saying that other guys don't, but, um, you know, that, that golf course, I think when I first started there, gosh, I already forgot the number. I just looked it up, but it was, I think there was, I think 47 bunkers or in the fifties, actually we, so we filled in a lot, quite a few bunkers and, um, really just tried to make them all mean something. And, uh, um, you know, the, I, the contractors just gave us a good price and we worked real hard and fast to, you know, make sure that we got it right and on time and on budget. So really just watching every individual deal. And so. How detailed a set of plans do you draw? And then how much time do you spend on site? And what is it you're doing when you are on site? Well, like Bend, um, my projects all vary quite a bit. Bend, um, I went once a week. It's about a little over three hours, about three and a half hours away. And so I would usually come in and see it in the afternoon and then spend the whole next day there with the crew and stuff. And so we're we're looking at forward projects, future bunkers, painting them out, flagging them out, whatever we have to do, having discussions of what they look like. I oftentimes in advance to the bunker, always in advance to the bunker, I would have a player perspective view that I draw on a on an iPad where I take a picture of that that bunker or that part of the green where the bunker is going to go and I draw it pretty detailed. And then I can just send that directly to the to the shaper, contractor shaper, superintendent gets it and uh he can literally look on his phone and uh, and be shaping to my design off of a picture on his phone from a human perspective as opposed to a plan view. Um, I do detailed drawings. I'm doing, as we speak, just a few miles from my house, we're remodeling or we're completely rebuilding Lake Oswego Muni golf course, which is 18 hole par three, turning it into a nine holer. And so I had to do very detailed drawings for that. And I had a landscape architect that would do the AutoCAD part of it for me. And, um, and so I vary anything from, <laughs> you know, just 
get on a dozer and start building with just a little sketch to any, you know, anywhere to full plans and stuff. But yeah, you're right. I don't do AutoCAD myself and most, most projects don't need it. And uh, so. If they do need it, it, is it for the purpose of construction or is it to facilitate a bid process? Um, usually more for a bid process and, or just approval, like through the city needed to see it. And, you know, they demanded, you know, that we have complete plans and stuff. Um, and, or, and I've only done one, a golf course with a housing component and that was for Bannon Crop or excuse me, for Wine Valley. And so they needed to, um, you know, to be able to, to tie the lot pads basically to the golf course and have it all on AutoCAD. Those houses never were built. So that's, which is, I think, a good thing in that sense. But yeah. so when I'm there, I usually am, you know, I'm in the dirt. And uh, a lot of my projects, um, when we rebuild greens, I will often jump on a dozer and do kind of the beginning, kind of the setup or creative shaping. And then usually let somebody that's a better operator than me clean it up and and make it work, you know, and cut the, the green core perfectly and make sure my grades, you know, I'll be with them, but make sure my grades are right and stuff. And uh and then on full projects, you know, on full golf courses, I do most of the shaping, you know, certainly around the greens. And like I said, all the kind of setup and design or uh, creative side of it. And so. Uh, you've been working, uh, is it fair to say primarily in the Pacific Northwest or exclusively out there? I mean, what's yeah. your. Pretty much exclusively. I've done a, I've worked on a project in California that, but just, I did it on a day rate. I didn't really want. I didn't put a name to it or anything. It was just a bunker, basically a bunker renovation. But my my work was just three, I think, three short trips to it. And because uh, it was mostly fill in a golf course that had, I don't know, five acres of bunkers. And we were cutting it way back, 36-hole project. Mm -hmm. But so, yeah, just Oregon, Washington, primarily. Um, I did a little bit in Montana. And I've looked at a project in Idaho. and uh, But really, just Oregon and Washington. And and uh, right up and down the I-5 corridors, other than a few out east. So, And what sort of trends are you? You've been now in the business for what, almost 20 years. Is that right? Yeah, a little over. I, I started the business in 2000. So, um, oh. gosh, well, the trends are, you know, people are, you know, doing big projects, very big projects. Like Portland Golf Club that I worked on last year was... Uh, you know, we did a, they're putting in a full irrigation system this year. We did a complete remodel, 52 bunkers, um, one new last approach and everything to a par five of the last 75 yards of the hole. Lots of tea work, uh, tree work, mowing, um, but major adjustments to a, that's a 19, gosh, I think 19, I can't remember, 1918 or 1920. Um, had the Ryder Cup and the PGA Championship there at 46 and 47, I think. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, real famous course for our area. And, and you know, I never did massive remodels like that. And, and, uh, and there's, so there's, a, and there's a lot of people talking about them. I have like three or four kind of on the docket now. And who, what's the, uh, I, I should know this, what's the design history of Portland Golf Club? Is that H. Chandler Egan as well? <laughs> No, uh, you know, I can't even think of the guy's name. Um, uh, Joe, he did, he only, he only worked on that course. I believe he was a Scotsman <clears throat> that was a professional and laid it out and it got switched around, you know, in the first 
10 or 15 years of the course. Um, gosh, I could get my book out and look at it, but I can't think of what it is right now. Well, we'll get it but by the Jason second Jones. half. Yeah, we'll get it by the second <laughs> half. The uh, what, what do you bring to the table as a player? Most of the, uh, 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 I dare say, I don't, I don't know what your how detailed a history you have with competitive golf. Did you play competitively on tours somewhere? I I, I did. Right out of college, I went to Australia and I qualified and and played that tour in the in the mid eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, not very successful, and then I got into the club business because my family was in that, and I got into that business for a while. Then I went back out and played the mini tours for a couple mm-hmm. years. Um, I tried to qualify for the PGA tour. I made it through stage one. And then in stage two in Sacramento, I was in a playoff. There was seven of us to for two or three spots. And I finished one out of the spot. And mm-hmm. so I didn't make it to finals. And that's when I took my job at Columbia Edgewater as an assistant. And eventually the, soon after the head pro job. And um, so <laughs> I think I, you know, I definitely, I don't know if you have to be, you know, that question comes up once in a while. Do you have to be a good golfer to, and I, I don't really think so. You, you you need to understand the game. And, you know, I think I've learned a lot and I have kind of a, I, you know, I studied golf course architecture on my own, but really, you know, teaching anywhere from really good players, lots of scratch players right down to, yeah. you know, 40 handicap older gals, women, and, um, you know, just kind of learn the game thoroughly and what kind of what people like and uh, and just kind of always study the golf course on my own. And so I, I sort of have a liberal study view of it as opposed to a landscape architect or uh, maybe somebody that came from the construction side, even though I love the construction side. But I learned that later on. Yeah. I mean, what you must learn a lot by watching different skill sets and listening to stories of, or watching how people actually play a golf hole as opposed to you know imaginary pga tour guy knocking down a five par with a six iron second shot so it's uh, oh for sure you know yeah touring courses you know just any of the courses you know i was on two different courses last week uh up in tacoma and in bellevue seattle area and uh you know, there's golfers out there all the time. And so you're constantly watching people and just see where they tee, where does their tee ball go? And, you know, when they miss the green, where does it end up? And um, just so really, and I've said this before too, that, I mean, I think being really good at, at, at what I do is mostly observation, you know, yeah. look at the golf course and realistically look at it. And, that, and the same goes for a really good superintendent, I think is, is, you know, truthfully observe your golf course and and look for flaws that need to get improved and and just know it in detail and uh, don't kind of glaze over and just look past it. And, and I think that's how a lot of design kind of goes bad is it's like, well, we'll put a bunker over there. And that's that's the thought of it, as opposed to, you know, really kind of getting a little bit deeper into the thinking of how that bunker should go in there. Yeah. And how much... Uh... You in this in this time, do you see a different orientation or a little more attention on the on the part of superintendents to design issues? Usually, the for a long time there was kind of a separation, and I think a number of architects took a slightly haughty view and really didn't want to get engaged in the in the day to day. You know, their view was essentially, well, you maintain it um, view rather than 
building in concerns about maintainability. And how has that has that changed over the years, or your relationship with superintendents in that regard? Um, yeah, you know, each project varies a lot, and I I try to really think a lot. And I have a lot of people at courses that I've worked at, and they says, "Gosh, we've never heard it." any of the guys that we've used in the past never said that they were worried about the shade from that tree because the greens maintenance. And so, um, so I work really hard at that, trying to get that relationship with the superintendent that we're on the same page and that mm -hmm. I'm not doing stuff that he's going to resent. And, and, you know, I welcome to be involved as much or as little on a day-to-day -day deal. And, participate in design ideas and stuff like that. And I, and I like to be open to other people's design ideas, whether it's from somebody from a committee or the board or a superintendent, because it's might maybe a better idea than mine. And so I think having no ego on that and, and allowing that is really important. And, and a lot of times the superintendents will bring great ideas about that, but I love to talk about how it's going to get mowed and, you know, where's the grassing line is going to be. And, you know, is this, is this going to work for them? And, and it's, it's funny, Bradley, cause some superintendents are just right there all the time. And it's, this is the highlight of their moment in their career to, to do a big project. And, and then other people have, you know, it, it just doesn't have their own personal interest, even though they really want it to be great. And they, you know, do everything they can do to do it. It's just, the design is um, just not that important to them. And so I would say overall though, that, you know, that the superintendents are kind of more and more, the sun's hitting me in the face here, <laughs> um, are more and more um, involved in that. And uh, like I said, I, I think it's important. And that's really the one of the most fun thing here. I mean, there's merit to this in my sense is, is that a good crew, a happy crew, and a happy situation creates a better product. Right. No doubt it happens on, on full golf course projects. And so, you know, kind of getting everybody on the team and making everybody feel important and, and, uh, and, and having them open to, um, feel free to, to not make decisions, but offer suggestions and stuff, I think is really important. And, and I do think it, you know, somehow ends up in the work and, uh, you know, on the final product. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. Our our guest is golf course architect uh, Dan Hickson. Uh, this is uh, Brad Klein here for TurfNet Renovation Report. And I uh, want to thank our sponsors, uh, the Andersons uh, Golf Preservations and Capillary Bunkers. We'll be right back. From fairway and greens drainage to full-scale renovation work, Golf Preservations can handle your project with ease and give you the peace of mind of knowing the professionals are caring for your valuable golf course assets. Since 2005, Golf Preservations has meticulously installed over 500 miles of drainage pipe on more than 300 golf courses nationwide, always keeping disruption of play to a minimum. Visit golfpreservations.com or call 606 499-2732 to speak with us about your next drainage or renovation project. Introducing Genesis RX, a line of comprehensive fertility and soil amendment solutions specifically designed for aerification. 
construction, renovation, sodding, sprigging, and seeding. These blends represent the most comprehensive fertilizers the Andersons have ever produced, offering single product solutions designed to simplify fertility and save time in application. To learn more, visit andersonsplantnutrient.com slash turf. The capillary bunker system keeps bunker moisture at optimal levels to eliminate washouts, soil contamination, plugged ball lies, and other bunker maintenance and playability problems. The patented capillary bunker system not only rapidly drains rain from storms, but also moves moisture back up to the bunker sand through capillary action as needed during drier weather. Capillary bunkers last longer, average a three-year payback, and provide better, more consistent player experiences all with a 10-year performance guarantee. For more information, visit capillarybunkers.com. We're back to part two of our conversation with uh, golf course Pacific uh, Northwest golf course architect, Dan Hickson. Uh, this is Brad Klein on behalf of TurfNet Renovation Report, thanking our sponsors, for this conversation, the Andersons Golf Preservations and Capillary Bunkers. Maybe I shouldn't call you Pacific Northwest Golf Course Architect. It's not like you're uh, uh, confined to that place. Maybe uh, maybe there'll be uh, offers coming from elsewhere. Uh, everybody has a breakthrough moment at some point. Um, in in your work. Um, I assume that in many cases, I know this was the case with Ben, golf keeps is when you did the bunker plan there recently, uh, golf is being played while you're working. I think Ben was nine and nine. They shut down nine at a time to do the bunkers. But I, I assume, is there a different dynamic when you're doing it that way? Do you prefer to shut down the whole golf course or does it just depend on the, the scope of work? You know, because yeah, it, scope, yeah, scope of work primarily, but you know, at Portland, we closed three holes at a time is all. And and then as the project went along, and we were there from uh, middle of July until really until the bad weather hit of close to December 1st. And um, I'll tell you, it, Portland was interesting because they hadn't done anything major to the, at all major, even close to major to their golf course since the 60s. And it was a Robert mm -hmm. Trent Jones Sr. deal. And so we were rebuilding bunkers and they really had... It's a great golf course, but it really it really needed this renovation, and uh, and so the interacting with the membership, walking by, they weren't necessarily playing those holes, but I got to know a lot of the members and would see them almost every day, and the looks on their faces once we got a few things in the ground was just amazing, and they were super supportive, and the, and the thing has gone through with, you know, just as as good a um, reviews as you could get from the membership and and um so that was quite fun you know your your first impression would be that you want the thing closed so you can concentrate and not have to worry about members but you know we kind of work around them and that that has a lot to do with the club professional as well as the superintendent communicating in today's yeah. world of you know what the golf course is going to be like when you come out and so um you know, like I said, at Portland, Jason and and then the golf pro staff, Tim Vall and, and Dave LeBeck, they were great as well, really just communicating daily and 
you know, every time they were out, they would introduce me to members. And then those members would come by every day and say, what are you going to do here? You know, because they just love to watch the transformation of the club. Mm -hmm. Do you, when you're doing a plan like that, do you get involved in the run-up to the implementation through a member education, trying to uh, help with a vote, that sort of thing? Or does that more left to the club itself? No, I do quite a bit of that. You know, usually it's a long-range plan that starts out my rough draft is a, a just a PowerPoint presentation to a committee board, you know, 15 or 20 people. And then oftentimes at Portland, gosh, we did two or three fireside chats. We did one that was supposed to be a walk around. We thought 30 or 40 people would show up and it was like 210 people. And, and, uh, you know, so it's, um, uh, you know, and, and those are pretty fun too. And, and, uh, you know, fortunately I've, I've, been able to do those and and keep people at bay and and not get too much uh you know outside stuff going on and um yeah i, I even enjoy that part of it as well too mm -hmm. well i guess it's an important part of the uh, stewardship and the ownership that members have in their club it, it sometimes can get overdone you know i'm sure you get your suggestions yeah. about a an island green and flash white sand and uh waterfalls as well uh, oh yeah <laughs> yeah we've had a few of those and um you know usually it's if it's a crazy idea i'm i'm fairly political in the sense i can usually talk them down from it and say you know that's just not the direction we're going and i've i've you know one, one advantage of being a club pro that i just really enjoy you know and i can say stuff to these clubs i mean if any one club leaves it's not going to really affect me i mean i i have enough work that if if i tick somebody off at one club. So, you know, I can kind of say things and I'll, I'll tell the GM and the golf pro and the superintendent, you know, I can say this to this guy because he's, he's completely off par, but you can't. And, That's uh, right. That's and usually, right. and usually it's, we all know that type of person that pushes something. And so everybody's usually happy when you kind of tell somebody off and say, Hey, they hired me to do this. If, if you don't like this idea, maybe you need to talk to the board and the committee to get rid of me and you, and to do your idea. And, you know, they usually walk out of the room. <laughs> uh, how often do you deal with the phenomenon of some of the work being contracted out to members? Do you Does that work for you? Do you prefer to have it? Uh, and I'm not talking about major contract work, but sometimes subcontracting. Um, um, I haven't dealt with that much. Paths, for example, yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, you know, I haven't that. dealt with that very much. However, just as we speak, um, uh, a bunker plan for a smaller club in the area, um, a member there is a, he, he works for a golf contracting company that's interested in doing this bunker renovation. And I haven't done work with them for that group. They've kind of shifted away from golf more to, to parks and ball fields and stuff, but they want to do this project. And so mm -hmm. uh, and I'm kind of asking the guy, you know, are you sure you want to work at your own club, you know? <laughs> and uh but but i haven't faced that much mm -hmm. yeah it's always a little complicated i i tell clubs mainly um only hire people you can fire or sue and um, yeah <laughs> if it's a member it's a, it gets a little awkward um but, yeah yeah um yeah um any trends you're seeing in terms of design work you know uh in the rest of the country, we're seeing big bunker plans, a lot of irrigation, weather or climate are, are big issues. What are you seeing in the Pacific Northwest? Well, the, the major clubs really are going through a, about a 10-year 
irrigation renovation. Almost every major club is is either done it, doing it, or about to do it. And that price escalation has really thrown everybody for a loop. I mean, essentially, they're twice the price that they were just four or five years ago. Right. And, uh, and hard to get contractors and the details and and the intricacies of it it seems to be it seems to be getting a little more difficult and uh, so irrigation for sure um, like I said you know with COVID and everything and just the economy there's just more money involved and so clubs you know clubs that never did work or suddenly have flush with money and looking to do projects um, but you know often renovation just comes down to and I'm not the first to say it. It's, pretty clear deal it's usually tree removal and grassing lines and bunker plans you know and then and, and on top of that a, a fourth note would probably be tees both shorter and back and you know flatter and bigger and just the renovation of tees and um yeah so yeah. i think that kind of covers most of it I, uh, my sense is that for years golf courses or at least committees were trying to get their golf course longer it might not have been the most sensible thing because they were in the process of ignoring how their golfers actually played but uh it seems to me yeah. that every course now is putting in forward tees family tees uh, way up there yep uh, are you seeing that as well oh yeah gosh every you know of of all the master plans i have out there many of them still have and they're doing all the time just what you said those those forward tees and oftentimes they're out in the fairway where we just lift it a little bit of grade come home with fairway units and uh, right. just yeah i do that all the time and and it's really great too and and i like you know i love the clubs that kind of resist it whether it's from the senior men or from the golfing women there that don't want to do it and then once they get going on it it's right. like gosh it, it takes them a little while to push them over but once they All go right. they don't go back and that that's really fun yeah and are you seeing uh, are the clubs you're getting i don't know if they're landlocked or not are you seeing a move toward um more diverse practice facilities and short courses himalaya putting greens nine hole courses that's nine hole par threes that sort of thing yeah, um, I've done quite a few of the putting courses and and have a couple of people that are talking about them right now. You know, everybody's trying to find land to either expand their driving ranges or uh, find short game areas. Um, it's, it's really a land issue. You know, most of the stuff I'm working on um, outside of my original projects are, you know, in the cities. And so they're they have pretty much landlocked situations. But um, yeah it's uh practice is huge and driving ranger you know but they're they're obviously really important but so many places just don't have room for expansion right yeah the older clubs in particular yeah yeah um what about your design influences um what do you i don't know if you're the kind of person who tries to do uh template holes or you know the, the redan beer it's sort of thing or do you what what do you draw upon for influences, I guess, or, you know, um, if you yeah, have. I, you know, I mean, I, I always used to tell people that kind of my favorite was Alistair McKenzie, you know, just, I really liked his courses on the West coast here that I'd played, but really I don't do anything much like him. Maybe, maybe mm -hmm. some flowing greens and stuff, but I don't, you know, my projects, oftentimes I go into a course that has 50 or 60 bunkers and we walk out with 30 or 40 and right. really try to be efficient in them. And, 
he would write and talk about the efficiency that everything needs a purpose and no wasteful ones, but he often put them, you know, behind greens that are, you know, you could never really hit them into just to, to create a beautiful scene. And, and so I don't know, I, I think, you know, back to that observation com comment, you know, I think I'm lucky in the sense that I have never worked for anybody and, you know, I got the influence of C Bandon up close, right? When I was starting, it was just coming online and really just see the quality that those and the detail that those guys thought things through. And not that I copy any of them, I admire all their work and stuff. But, um, you know, I think a lot of a lot of the people that worked in the, you know, 80s and 90s building a whole bunch of golf courses, um, the way they did it just didn't suit me. I mean, I wanted to have, you know, handmade stuff or, or uh, stuff built specifically for that golf course, that club at the time. And so I try to stay real flexible because I do work at, you know, a former Ryder Cup. They want the highest absolute quality that they can get right down to, um, you know, the Muni just that I'm working on now is we're, we're trying to make something really fun and unique with some design details, but, you know, very simple bunkers and so on and so on, so forth. So, you know, we're, I'm kind of always changing design ideas and having worked in so many clubs in such a small area too, that I, 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 I like to keep it fresh. You know, I don't want one club, you know, four miles away, work on another club and say, well, he did the same thing right. at our place. Yeah. That, that happens a lot and what did about, happen a lot. Well, you're going, uh, you mentioned McKenzie, whose greens dramatic slopes on those, of course, in those days in the twenties, if you had stimped them, they'd be running at about four and a half on a stimp meter. Yeah. So what happens? How do you stand on that whole issue of slope versus speed for modern greens? Um, well, it's funny because we're working on, you know, right, just right in my little town here of Lake Oswego, the Muni and the Country Club, the Country Club, they run it, you know, as fast as you can get. And it's on a on a big side slope of a golf course. And so we got to really be careful with you get much over three percent. You can't put a pin on it if there's right. any steeper slopes below it. And, uh, and so we work real hard at there, but then now at the Muni, I just had the, the superintendent at the Muni go to our, we, lots of the grass seed and bent grass seed gets grown here and, and researched here. And so I had them out at a, at a lab just yesterday to pick the final deal. Cause I think we're probably, we only want those greens to run at about an eight on the stint meter. So we can, we can go up to four and a half percent pinnable areas and stuff. Yeah. So I can kind of in a way almost more exciting greens. And, you know, one of my favorite courses is Indian Canyon. And I think you and I've talked about it before and in Spokane, a Chandler Egan course, and it hasn't been altered hardly at all through the years. And those greens, they pin, you know, five and 6% sloped areas for tournaments and stuff. And it, they really work. And it's really fun to play where you have these big breakers that don't just continue to break off the green. And so, um, you know, so I, I mean, we all say it, but we're probably not going to go backwards and, and slow greens right. down. <laughs> yeah. So then that, that's a municipal golf course, isn't it? In the Canyon in Spokane. Yeah. That's yeah. They played the, they played the U S pub links there in, in the eighties and, mm -hmm. and, and probably before that as well. So. Yeah. Now you, you had done a master plan for them or did it, are you in the process or what's going on? I there? have not, I have done no work towards the golf course, but back oh. in the, uh, gosh, in the early teens, I did a long range plan for actually the, the tribe that owns the casino near there. We're trying to, 
uh, fund a renovation for it and they wanted to have naming rights. It was going to be something at Indian Canyon. And so the, the tribe had hired me and wanted me to do the work. So I did a kind of a fairly quick long range plan, you know, laying out what I would do and, mm -hmm. um, and everything was a go, but the city didn't, didn't take the proposal from the tribe. So, um, I, I've never done any physical work to it, but I, I really know that course well, having played, you know, 10 years of, a, of basically five rounds for a tournament there through the years. And so it's uh, just love the place. And so I, I use that all the time on, on Egan courses that I've worked on is, is the thoughts that he did there. Cause I know it's, it's not altered much. So. If you had to kind of describe Egan's design approach, how would you, is it, uh, how would you do that? Um, I don't know. You know, his courses varied quite a bit. He's, he's similar to, um, A.V. McCann and they kind of crossed over. He was from British Columbia, Northwest guy worked on a million courses and, um, right. you know, he does, Egan has, um, he, he sort of did his own templates. He did quite a few greens that tilted hard left to right, or even ran away from you or right to left, just really at grade type greens. But then when he got into a hillier site, like Indian Canyon or Oswego Lake, where I'm working, um, and even at Bend, he, he made some greens with quite a bit of movement to them. But um, my favorite ones are his ones that are really just the, the approach of the green is really at grade and, um, you know, tilted one way or the other. Mm -hmm. and it, did he leave mm -hmm. much of a design uh, documentary record? You know, with Donald Ross, for example, Tillinghouse, there's a fairly good, not complete, but a fairly good body of archival material. Uh, Egan did not do that, did he? No, I have a, I have photographs of his, his original plan for Indian Canyon. I know Waverly did a lot of research and found some great aerials from, I think, 1934 when they, because they, they truly went backwards and do it, a, did a historical res uh, restoration mm. of his. And those, I think, were the best photos of it. And I don't think he wrote much about his stuff at all. And I know a writer, Tony Deere from the Northwest here is, has always been interested in writing yeah. a, a Indian book, but I don't know. I, I worry that it would be 36 pages long is all, you know, and just our description of it as opposed to, you know, getting some insight to them. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that is one of the issues. Uh, as good a set of courses as there are out in the Pacific Northwest and in the West generally, the detail plans, other than George Thomas, for example, um, are fairly sparse. So, yeah, and you never know. I guess the hard part, of course, is that you never know if what you're looking at is some version of the original or how much of it was, you know, bulldozed over and renovated and yeah, and so on. Yeah, I mean, I I think the only one that has merited that is is his work at Waverly, and and I know they have uh, not reservations, but they're not positive how much of that he did too. Right. Um, you know, they're on their second site by the time he was he helped them with their first site and then somebody else started the second site and then he finished it and so they're trying they try to give him full credit but they're not even positive that he deserves full credit if that's yeah. the right way to say it but yeah <clears throat> and i know that was a similar issue with bend as well though yeah but that gives you quite a bit of license in effect to kind of create that legacy both for him and for you so yeah to your credit so Maybe I framed it, framed it my own way, but I always just kind of say, you know, I, I think I've seen, 
you know, at Waverly, he certainly did grass down bunkers. And I know he, I thought I've read somewhere um, about Pebble Beach that a lot of the kind of the big waste bunkers with islands in them, I thought I read that he has laid those out. And mm -hmm. even after, um, you know, the, the, let's see, was it McKenzie that came back into Pebble Beach and redid it again? Yeah. Yeah. I know he was part of when it upgraded once and, uh, you know, and then he did kind of flash sands at Indian Canyon and elsewhere. And, you know, even Oswego, <clears throat> Oswego Lake doesn't have very good photos of that really reveal anything. The aerials are kind of grainy and, and hard to see the details. And that of course has changed around so many times with land sales and housing changes around it and stuff. So that's why Indian Canyon so great is it's, you know, it's probably 90 some percent what he laid out. Right. So, well, I want to thank you for your time. Our guest today is uh, golf course architect Dan Hickson uh, for TurfNet Renovation Report. This is Brad Klein, and we're thankful to our sponsors for this conversation, uh, the Andersons Golf Preservations and Capillary Bunkers. Dan, um, maybe next time we talk, we'll be hearing about a project that you're doing on the other side of the Rockies, uh, or maybe <laughs> even maybe even out here in the east. I think we would all benefit from that kind of uh, cross pollination, if you will. So, <laughs> well, thank you. Hope, hopefully, that's true. <laughs> it's always been a pleasure talking to you, and I, I cherish the time we spent together at Sylvie's Valley Ranch back in. Yeah, that uh, was fun. Few few years ago now, actually. Yeah. yeah, probably in 18, 17 or 18. Was, um, yeah, I'd have to look it up. I It was one of those, yeah, pre-COVID. When you got world. covered with cow pie. I went out with the owner and we went for a ride in, what was it, the Razor. <laughs> and uh, it was we were out there for a little while and I realized there was no side truck uh, to the, no side <laughs> doors to the vehicle. And we were going through uh, fields occupied by grazing animals who were expelling twice as much as they were taking in. And I got most of it on the, the right side of my leg. I, I cherish that oh, memory. I remember that. That's a great story. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> who cares about the golf course I built reversible and all that, but you got to experience a cow pie on the leg. <laughs> that was my lead. I can't remember exactly. Uh, I think I said something about the, the, uh, the stuff was flying as I was out yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very, very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.